Welcome to this week's Pick and Pod podcast. Training camps are officially underway. We have officially gotten the first half of the 2020-2021 NBA regular season. It has been released. I am Andrew Posadas alongside Kelly Bright. We're going to break it down for you. We're going to talk about some juicy matchups that we have on the 22nd and especially on Christmas, while some notable ones in January and February. Aside from that, we'll we'll talk and get deeper into training camps, Kyrie Irving, talk maybe some Knicks. I know Kelly has some words on her Boston Celtics. We'll talk Lakers, Clippers, the whole shebang. Kelly, how are you? This is your debut on Pick and Pod. Yeah, I'm super excited to be here, Andrew. Uh, Always good to talk basketball with you. The last time we were talking basketball before, you know, before we went home, and this is obviously my first time on the show, the Celtics were shaping up to be in a finals with the Lakers, and it was much more exciting for me as a Boston fan at that point. I was I was pretty hopeful. You know, we had Hayward still. Kemba Walker was – I mean, he's been up and down, but he was still in the mix. Obviously, Jason Tatum. And now coming into this season, it's it's a big question mark, but I'm, I'm just glad the season is right around the corner. I'm glad we're going to get to talk about some basketball and watch some basketball. So I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I'm sure you and uh, Gigi Spear would have had some fun had it been a Celtics-Lakers finals. That would have been epic and definitely would have been a pick-and-pod special edition episode, softball style. But you mentioned it, hoops are back. And earlier in the week, we had gotten the official announcement of the games for December 22nd and for Christmas. December 22nd, a doubleheader Tuesday night on TNT. The Golden State Warriors head over to Barclays. They link up with Kyrie, Katie, and the Brooklyn Nets, followed by the Los Angeles Lakers, the newly crowned champions, ring night ceremony against the Los Angeles Clippers with Montrez Harrell in purple and gold, watching the Los Angeles Lakers get their rings. LeBron James signing that two-year $84 million extension, AD five years, $190 million. And again, Christmas, some juicy matchups there, a noon Pelicans heat. Going a little bit later on at 5 p.m., Kelly Bright Celtics. Welcome Kyrie, his first time back in the Garden. And then obviously to cap the night, I mean, 8 p.m., Mavericks, Lakers, Luka, LeBron. And then the scene of the crime. Well, it was in the bubble, but Clippers go to Denver, where I'm sure the Nuggets will be very much confident to prove that coming back from that 3-1 deficit was no fluke. Kelly, so far, what do you like from these early matchups? Well, the NBA sure knows how to slay the schedule. I mean, there's drama opening night, Christmas Day. There's drama even just throughout the season. There's some great matchups. Really looking forward to a lot of games. I have to point out, now obviously I'm, I'm a Celtics fan, but as someone now who's been around New York fans and New York basketball, the Nets have a lot of primetime games. And that is something that if you said two or three years ago, the Nets were going to be starting on opening day and have the primetime slot on Christmas Day, I would have said you were crazy. I mean, you got to think a few years ago, you know, there was that three year stretch where the most game, most wins they got was 28 games. And now, you know, it's going to be exciting to watch them play. It's going to be exciting to see KD come back, you know, match up with Kyrie Irving. They got Steve Nash as in his first year as a head coach. So I'm really excited to see them play. Obviously, you know, Celtics and playing with the Nets, I really, I really wish there was fans because I'd love to see the fans' reaction to Kyrie coming back to Boston. But, you know, it is what it is. At least they're getting to play. And 
And like you mentioned, the Clippers, Lakers, always great to see them play. I love the drama, especially with how many moving pieces there's been in the offseason for both those teams. So definitely a lot of great matchups to look forward to. Yeah, our producer Thomas Aiello uh, very much points out the Knicks on the other side, only one nationally televised game. The Nets are third. They have 13. The Lakers lead everyone. They have 16 nationally televised games, as should be. They are the defending champs. And then four teams tied with 14 this season. Kelly Celtics, the Mavericks, the Pelicans, and the Warriors, even though they will be without Klay Thompson with that torn Achilles. I want to dive a bit deeper because, as I mentioned, on ESPN's The Jump on Friday, the first half portion of the regular season was announced. And this is how it breaks down. We have our tip-off December 22nd, and the first half runs through March 4th. And so the schedule for the second half, which will be from March 11th to May 16th, that will be released towards the end of the first half portion of this season. And Kelly, each team will play about 37 to 38 games during the first half. And that will include a minimum of 17 home games and a maximum of 20. They're going to play nearly 52% of all regular season games in that first half. And they've also taken steps to reduce travel. Much like softball and baseball, they'll have that kind of series model where teams will play each other twice, maybe even three times. And again, the NBA is doing this to combat the ongoing coronavirus pandemic, Kelly. And they're giving themselves some room now, not having set a second half schedule in stone just in case they need to reschedule or postpone any first half games. What is your initial impressions of what the NBA is doing, only releasing the first half of its schedule? You know, I'm I'm kind of excited for the, like you mentioned, the baseball kind of style series where these teams are going to get multiple opportunities to play the same team in a, this back-to-back fashion. I think it's going to be a real challenge for coaches and how they manage their lineups and how they adjust from, you know, literally 24, 48 hours apart from playing the same team. So I think it's going to be, it's going to be interesting there. I think there's going to be a lot more drama, a little, little you know, uh, tougher for these teams to adjust quickly like that. Um, but I do. I think it's almost smart of them to only release half the schedule. You're not. You're not leaving any empty promises up. You know, it, you always have to kind of, you know, over under promise, over deliver, and that's what they're doing here. They're saying, hey, we'll give you these games up until March, and after that, you know, we gotta live. We gotta leave a little bit of leeway because we don't know what's gonna happen. So I'm okay with them releasing this this only first half of the schedule, and I do think with a shortened with a shortened um, number of games. It does benefit the West, Western Conference, in that they're not going to play as many games against Western Conference opponents. And to me, the Western Conference is a lot more competitive than the Eastern Conference. I'm sure many basketball fans would agree with me. So some of the West, some of the Western Conference teams get a little bit of a break in the fact that I think that I believe it's they're playing. So instead of playing four games against their conference opponents, some of them they're only playing three. So it might help them a little bit more than some of the Eastern teams, but. Yeah, I I have no problem with only knowing the first half. Yeah, I mean, Adam Silver understands that they're not going to be in a bubble anymore. And ideally, I'm sure Adam Silver is thinking to himself, I wish we were in a bubble, but I don't think that's feasible for 72 regular season games and then a postseason. Now, if we get down to it and the pandemic is still as fierce as it is right now and still affecting so many states and so many countries around the world, I could see the NBA going into a bubble just for the postseason and obviously for that play in tournament with the uh, with the ninth uh, with the eighth and ninth seeds and with the seventh 
through 10 seeds being so important now with the expanded playoffs continuing from this past summer in the bubble. I, I think the NBA is realistic here. You don't want to guarantee games and then not leave yourself enough. You don't want to because the second half of the season will essentially finish in mid and mid May. Usually it finishes in mid April. So you're giving yourself that extra month just in case if you put 72 games and have it end at exactly mid-April with the intention that we're going to go right to the postseason at the end of the month, at the end of April, and let's say more than 15 games, 20 games need to be rescheduled. And again, those may be teams that are right there in the playoff hunt. You give yourself no room to reschedule those games in that month of April. So I think having that extra three to four weeks it's going to be beneficial for teams who need to get those games in and who want to get all 72 games through in order to maybe get an eighth seed or fight for position in the top five seeds of each conference. I think it really is imperative. And again, the NBA understands there's going to be games that are going to be rescheduled. It's just it's inevitable. So, Kelly, I really feel that Adam Silver is taking the right steps. And I think they will go about these first two to three months really just making sure that they can get as many games in as safely as possible. Yeah, I completely agree. And you got to remember, we've seen this now with the NFL, with college football, college basketball. There's going to be cases, and, and you've seen the NFL. They have more flexibility than the NBA has. You know, they their games are their games are six days apart, whereas the NBA, even especially with this condensed schedule, they play yeah. three, yeah. four games in a week, so they're going to have a lot less – um, chance for flexibility and their rosters are smaller you know one mistake and you could have a whole roster wipe, wiped off whereas with football you know maybe the worst case we've seen was the Broncos having the, all of their quarterbacks out but you have you have a 52-man roster you have a lot more a lot more space to deal with so it, it's definitely going to be interesting and we might get into this more a little bit later but it's going to come down to how well these players how committed these players are going to be to following all these rules all these restrictions and guidelines you know now that they're not in a bubble which even the bubble you know they don't want they don't want to be in a bubble it it does affect your mental health as we've heard from a lot of players but it it was it did work the the bubble was successful in keeping them safe and their family safe so it it's going to be interesting to see how they adapt to this to this new freedom especially some of the younger players who you know they're going to come into these big contracts have a lot of money at their hands and they're going to want to go out they're going to want to do things especially if they live in areas where maybe covid restrictions restrictions aren't as severe aren't as as limiting so it's really going to come down to how committed these players are to staying safe yeah and before we wrap up the podcast a little bit later on we'll touch on the initial return to market testing from the players and talk about how feasible maybe the season is under the pandemic that continues uh, to get bigger and affect so many other people you know, around the world. But let's move over to training camps around the league because obviously December 1st, everybody reported a whole bunch of media availabilities, everything being done on Zoom virtually. It's so weird, Kelly, having gotten the chance to cover the Nets and the Knicks for FUV and knowing that everything has to be done on Zoom. But alas, we're here and I need to start locally with the aforementioned Brooklyn Nets because Kyrie Irving, he didn't have a media day. He didn't go on Zoom. Instead, he issued a statement where he said, quote, my goal this season is to let my work on and off the court speak for itself. So he issued that statement instead of speaking with reporters. And according to ESPN's Brian Windhorst on that same program, The Jump, where they released the first half of the schedule, he is now reporting 
that Irving will conduct a, quote, media blackout, end quote, this season, with Irving basically saying that, you know, for many reports that he feels like his relationship with the media has soured to the point where he doesn't trust them. He feels like they misconstrue everything that he says. So as far as Brian Windhorst is reporting, Kyrie Irving isn't talking to the media this season. Kelly, as people who work in the media, I just, I'm not understanding this by Kyrie Irving. I'm not understanding this decision. Yeah, Andrew, you and I talked earlier this week about how we thought one of the biggest question marks for how successful this Brooklyn Nets team is going to be is whether or not Kyrie Irving can keep his off-the-court personality quirks, you know, in check. And here we are a few days later, you know, we haven't even played one minute of basketball yet, and he's already in the news for something dealing with the media. And and I've read that statement, and in it he says, you know, he's going to move differently this year. And, and to me, this isn't this isn't much different from normal Kyrie being strange with the media. Now, there, I think you can look at it from a, a number of different ways. You know, first of all, as, as you said, as two individuals working in sports media, to me, being if you're an athlete, if you're a professional athlete, at the end of the day, part of your job is dealing with the media. It's answering questions. It's communicating with the fans. It's it's talking to, you know, whoever the reporters at your game after practice. That's part of the job. You know, you, you're not here just to play sports. It's a lot bigger than that. And as frustrating as it as it may be, and I'll admit Kyrie hasn't always been shown in the best light. Some of his comments have been misconstrued and misinterpreted, but that's going to happen. That's going to happen to any big star. And and he's he's on a team in New York, which is one of the biggest media centers in the country, and you're you can't just ignore the media. That's 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 disappointing as a leader. You know, you have this first year coach and Steve Nash who's already going to have to field, you know, a lot of tough questions from the media and now one of his best stars one of the people who's supposed to be a leader and one of his captains isn't going to be answering questions isn't going to be presenting that united front with him and that's just introducing another challenge for this Brooklyn Nets team yeah it's weird because at one hand I can understand that you know he feels like every time he speaks the media is twisting his words and contorting it, you know, into a negative light and, you know, painting him to be, you know, a villain, you know, and uh, to use a, a word. But uh, again, I think with, with Kyrie Irving, I believe that every player has, you know, that responsibility where they have to talk to the media. And I think if you're Kyrie Irving, you should go on that Zoom and say, if it's not about basketball, if it's nothing relevant to the game of basketball and what we're doing here with the Brooklyn Nets, I'm not answering it. And I think that would be the easiest way to go about that instead of instead of kind of cryptically saying that you don't want to talk to the media for the entire season. You just go out there and say, hey, if you have questions about basketball, what's happening on the court, I'm here to answer them as an NBA player. It's my job to do so as a professional basketball player. But if you're going to talk to me about any sort of nonsense outside or, or stuff that could be detrimental to the team, then then you don't answer them. Then you go the Marshawn Lynch route and say, Hey, I'm, I'm just here. So I won't get fined. That's it. But you can't tell me that you're just not going to talk to the media at all. Like you and Kevin Durant. And I think that also Kelly, as someone who's on the team, imagine if your star player on the softball team said, I'm not talking to the media the rest of my teammates have to take on that responsibility and teammates who aren't used to being in that spotlight or who may not want that spotlight because again, they're just role players. So I think, again, I think that's selfish on Kyrie's part. If the Nets end up struggling, 
then other people are going to have to answer for those struggles because Kyrie's not going to be there on Zoom to, to take any sort of accountability. So I think that really sets up KD and the rest of the team kind of with that burden to have to shoulder that if things go wrong, they're going to be the ones who have to answer for it immediately. Yeah, and I think it's it's very similar. We just heard all these stories and accusations about Kawhi Leonard and Paul George getting this preferential treatment in LA and and how much tension and drama that cl- caused there for the Clippers. And I if you take this where I, Kyrie Irving's one of your best players and he's just kind of using the fact that things are kind of on Zoom and and maybe he doesn't want to deal with the media and he's just using this escape route and basically saying, "Well, I'm Kyrie, I can I can make this decision. I'm just going to decide to not talk to anyone and and that's that and that could be seen as this kind of preferential treatment because he is so good and he and he is so good on the court that he's getting away with some of this some of this off the court nonsense you know and I will say I will say this now I'm from North Carolina and I I've been a Kyrie fan since that one year he played at Duke um the few games that he played there you know I loved him obviously he spent some time with the Celtics so I don't, I do, I don't, I know sometimes his character gets called into question, but this summer, you know, we saw him take one of the most prominent active voices in the wake of the George Floyd death, and especially throughout, you know, this very socially active and conscious time, he's been very outspoken, you know, he's donated a lot of money to the WNBA, you know, helping out these players with their salaries during COVID, he's donated a lot to Feeding America, I saw a tweet that he partnered with a charity to provide like something like 250,000 families in need with the food this summer so I I don't necessarily think it's his character called into question but I think it's his leadership on a basketball team that's being called into a question here and and I think he's he's really letting like you said letting the younger players on his team down yeah and again you you mentioned it perfectly there obviously what he does on the court that's for the media to go ahead and and take their conclusions and write their own articles however they want to go. Obviously, journalism can be skewed. Some writers have their own agenda. That That's another story. But I think you said it best. He's been quietly one of the bigger activists as far as athletes are concerned. And he doesn't look for any sort of that recognition, any sort of that prominence. A lot of that stuff gets reported outside of his circle. So he's not the one telling you what he's doing. He's just doing it. So I respect that. And again, the Nets will open up their preseason December 13th against the Wizards. So he has another week or so. So we'll see if this indeed is, in fact, a a media blackout or if maybe this is just cryptic words. Obviously, he went on Instagram a bit later and said, quote, it's up to you what you want to do with your time. Feed into the BS or feed your mind. End quote. So again, more cryptic words, but it's not like he's saying he's going on a media blackout. So we'll find out December 13th after that preseason game with Zoom meetings if he indeed is going to be available for the season or not. But Kelly, you did a great job. I'm going to segue because we're going around the league. We can go local and bounce away. Let's go over to L.A. because you did mention the Clippers and a huge article that came out on The Athletic earlier this week documented really the struggles that some of the teammates had with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, which ultimately led them to get bounced out of the second round uh, from the Denver Nuggets after blowing that 3-1 lead. And from what we heard, Kawhi and PG apparently had power over the practice schedule. Kawhi was living in San Diego, which often made him late and really dictated how the team traveled themselves. And teammates ultimately believed that Kawhi and PG-13 They could choose when they wanted to play or not. And Paul George went on all the smoke 
with Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson, he didn't make matters worse. He basically blamed Doc Rivers and put the fault on him for not using him correctly, saying that, you know, Doc tried to use him like a J.J. Redick or Ray Allen. And PG-13 said, Kelly, you know, he said, that's not my game. But, you know, I tried to play it, but we could do more pick and rolls. So Paul George, again, extending his well-long history of not taking accountability himself. Kelly, I just don't know. I love Kawhi. But this Clippers team, I just don't know what to make of it. And and I can't – I don't know if I can see them as – I know this is crazy, but as a viable threat, if teammates feel that way – I know Montrez is gone. Landry Shamit was traded. But most of that team is still intact. How do we know that this year is going to be different than what happened in the bubble? Yeah, it was it was extremely disappointing to hear those reports, you know, especially some of the things you kind of noticed throughout the season. First of all, the load management. I mean – Paul George and Leonard played in in a very low percentage of the games during the regular season. So you already knew there was something going on. And, and then hearing about all the behind-the-scenes issues was pretty shocking. You know, things like them getting their own locker rooms, their own special treatments and things. And I know we just talked about it with Kyrie a little bit, but that's just that you're with the best players on your team kind of set the standard for your culture, for the culture for the rest of the guys. You know, it's and if the players are coming out and they're going against the coach, that's just another level that goes against, you know, your culture because it's about buying in. You know, the teams that do well, the teams that win championships, they have this energy. They all buy into this mission. You know, I thought the Heat last year were a great example of that. You know, they took a bunch of guys who maybe, yeah, you have Jimmy Butler, but the rest of the guys weren't, weren't, you know, maybe fringe all-stars, maybe fringe at the best, you know, at least in the Eastern Conference. And they took a pretty legit playoff run because they had this energy, this culture that they all bought into. And and I think that might be what what's holding the Clippers team, which is a very talented team, back from, you know, achieving some great things. Now, I did think, I actually like some of their off-season moves. I really like bringing in Serge Ibaka. I think he's going to help a lot. You know, Ibaka, he has, he's worked well with Ka- Kawhi in the past. You know, they were friends. They won a title together, made that run together. So hopefully that'll help ease some tension. You know, I, I think that was a good move. I really like trading for Luke Kennard. You know, he's promising young guard. He can shoot threes, create plays. And I, I did like some of the moves they make. It's going to be interesting. I think having Ty Lue in there as a new head coach, they can't use Doc Rivers as an excuse anymore. So I, I am interested to see how they come out this season, but it's going to it's gonna have to require some, some chemistry changes, and it's going to start from the top with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, Ty Lue was uh, a member of that championship team. He coached that Cleveland Cavaliers team. They're their first ever championship when people never thought that the Cavaliers would even sniff uh, another NBA Finals after 07 and, and when LeBron left. And Tyloo will have a momentous job ahead of him trying to at least get the Clippers to the conference finals. You know, that's a team looking to at least get there first. But again, there are championship aspirations there. You mentioned championship teams. That leads me to the team kind of residing on the top floor of Staples Center right now, if you'd indulge me. They have all the banners uh, while the Clippers lay in the lowly basement, if I want to use a proverbial word. I am talking about the Los Angeles Lakers. As I mentioned, LeBron James, two-year extension, $84 million. Anthony Davis, five years, $190 million extension for AD. And this team added Schroeder. They added Montrez Harrell. They stole him from the Clippers, essentially. Again, they bring in guys like a Mark Gasol. You know, they trade away Danny Green. A lot of good moves from GM Rob Palenka. Kelly, 
it's safe to say that this Lakers team might be better going into this season than they were when they got out of the bubble like 76 days ago. I completely agree. It's it's pretty rare that a team that wins a championship goes and makes these kind of moves in the offseason. Usually it's more just defending what they already have and trying to keep maintain things. And originally you see them trade some of their key players away, but but they upgraded, you know, they kept their the two best players in the league. They both signed super max deals, which means they're going to have them for a few more years. And then, you know, you you upgrade your weakest positions. You add shooting. You know, they needed a third shooter. You know, Kyle Kuzma, he averaged, what, 12.8 points, you know, didn't do that well in the playoffs. And now they're, they added some they added some shooters. You know, they bring in Montrezl Harrell, you know, resign. They, Wesley Matthews, too. Wesley Matthews, so many, so many big – Marcus Gasol, um, you resign KCB. They just – they didn't do they they pretty much did everything right this offseason and and it's going to be very scary for the Western Conference, you know. I I wouldn't be surprised if they repeat this year and maybe even get a three-peat the year after. Yeah, the Western Conference is loaded. There's no doubt about that. There's there's so many teams that have gotten better, but again, it's crazy to say, but the Lakers still seem head and shoulders above the rest right now in the West. As I rhymed real quick, see, uh, it's so so good on my part. But again, yeah, and you know what's even crazier to me, Kelly, is that that extension for LeBron James runs through the summer of 2023. Now his son, LeBron James Jr., a.k.a. Bronny, he graduates high school in 2023. And a lot of people think that in the next CBA agreement, the NBA can get that draft rule to go from one and done to have players like they used to when LeBron was coming out, come straight out of high school. What do you think about the potential of LeBron going wherever Bronny is drafted in the summer of 2023? I mean, it's, it is truly mind-blowing. I'm just thinking with my own dad. My own dad played college basketball. And if you told me I was going to be able to throw him a lob dunk in the next five years, <laughs> like no shot. I can the, just imagining playing at the highest level of basketball, a father and son duo is just mind boggling. But but it's possible. It's possible. And when I first signed this, first saw this contract, I thought, all right, this is classic Lakers. They're going after a Hall of Fame talent and, and they want him to retire with their franchise, you know. They, they made the same contract move with Kobe when Kobe was 35, you know, a two-year. At that point, it was yep. $48.5 yep. which was a lot. And now, obviously, things have changed. And, and LeBron's going to be making, what, $5,000 an hour? So uh, a little bit more money, but the same kind of concept. You know, they want him to finish his career with the Lakers. and, and But you look at it, and there has to be a reason that it, that contract ends the same year that Bronny's going to be graduating high school. And... And I wouldn't. LeBron has more pull in this league than any other player, arguably in the history. Maybe Jordan, with maybe Jordan, could rival that. But he has so much pull, so much control with kind of what happens and where he's going to go. That if he wants to play with his son, I think he makes it happen. Yeah, and I'll tell you this to segue to another team. There's another guy who wouldn't mind playing with LeBron James. That man's name is Giannis Antetokounmpo, the reigning MVP, and Kelly. The other day, he had, talking to Zoom and, and his media availability, he had said, quote, you know, and if I got LeBron, KD, AD, if all those came, I wouldn't mind at all. I don't care if I'm the top player on the team. And Kelly, that leads me to believe a lot of people speculating that that love that he was showing LeBron James, that admiration, kind of maybe fuels the fire that maybe Giannis would want to link up with AD and LeBron. He mentioned both of them. Could he make his way to the West Coast? 
I don't know. But at this point, Giannis right now is basically telling everybody, all I care about is winning. I don't care if I'm the man. If I have to be the second or third fiddle, that's what it takes. I'm down at this point in my career. I don't care about the MVPs or the individual accolades. And again, December 21st, that's the deadline for him to sign his Supermax. And if he doesn't sign it, I doubt he signs it at any point during the regular season or in the postseason. So, Kelly, could Giannis – I mean, I know it's crazy for me to ask, but what's the realistic – what are the chances that, Le, that LeBron James could find himself a potential teammate in Giannis in the next year or two? I mean, if that happens, the NBA needs to put some kind of <laughs> talent re- talent restriction or talent cap. Like, screw a salary cap. We're going to need a talent cap if those three are all on the same team. But – but I, I, I do think the Milwaukee Bucks almost – they kind of messed up this offseason in the fact that I'm not convinced that Giannis is going to sign the Supermax. I mean, I know he's come out and he said that he loves Milwaukee. He loves being there. But, you know, the fact that they screwed up that Bodon Bodanovich deal, you know, with the whole tampering thing and, and they didn't sign him. I, yes, they got Drew Holiday, but is that enough to keep, you know, Giannis here? You know, they, they do re-sign um, Pat Cunnington, but they brought in Bobby Portis. Tory Craig, you know, but are the, is this enough to keep who the reigning two-time MVP? You know, he's got he's proved that he's talented. He's proved that he can, you know, he's an offensive threat. He's proved that he can help his team, but he hasn't gotten that ring yet, and that's kind of what's keeping him from being at that level with with somebody like LeBron, you know, or Steph Curry, or even you know, uh, KD. Even well, KD's never ring either, yeah. but. You know, he wants that ring. That's what he wants. And, and if there's a way for him to be on a team with LeBron and Anthony Davis, I mean, that if some, if you want something to secure you a championship, be on a team with LeBron and LeBron and AD. Because that, that, that seems to be the best, the best formula so far. Yeah, and it, it's crazy because Giannis, at, at this point, you know, you've been in the league for nearly a decade. You know, if you don't get a championship by then, you know, you get a little desperate where you're like, all right, maybe I have to team up. And again, as you mentioned, they didn't get Bogdanovich. Drew Holiday is a great pickup, but still, when you match them up, are you taking them over a fully healthy KD or Kyrie and, and the Brooklyn Nets who have depth? You know, you talk about the Miami Heat. They're not going anywhere. They won the Eastern Conference and kind of set the blueprint for how you defend Giannis and take him out in a seven-game series. Uh, you know, again, the Toronto Raptors are still there. They're going to be competitive. The Philadelphia 76ers, I think Doc Rivers is there. He's going to try and revamp Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. And, and again, in another team... And this is another great segue by myself. Another team that's going to look to knock Milwaukee out, that would be the Boston Celtics. Kelly Bright's Boston Celtics. We saw what they did in the bubble. Jalen Brown, one of my favorite players in the league, Jason Tatum, he gets paid, rightfully so. But they go in without two of their stars. Gordon Hayward took $120 million guaranteed from Michael Jordan, stole it from the back of his pocket, and left to Charlotte. He's in the Queen City. And Kemba Walker recently said that he got a stem cell injection in his knee and won't be back until maybe January. But he did stress and emphasize that he won't come back until he is fully ready. So, Kelly, the Boston Celtics, they still have Jalen Brown. You still have Jason Tatum. You have Marcus Smart. You had to trade away a guy in Ennis Cantor. But Robert Williams gave him some good minutes in the bubble. The Boston Celtics, even without Kemba for that first month, whenever they do get Kemba back, this is definitely a team that's going to finish in the top three in the East. And to me, they're at full strength. They're one of the top three teams in the Eastern Conference. 
Yeah, I agree. I think there are a lot more questions, obviously, going into this year than last year. You know, like you said, without Kemba Walker, you, you there's a few more question marks. Yeah, you've got Jason Tatum, like you said. I know you're a huge Jason Tatum fan, so am I, and I, I think he's great. But in in this league, you need more than one, you know, NBA all an All NBA player to do well, especially in the conference finals. You know, Tristan Thompson. You know, he's gonna be coming off his career season. He's an elite rebounder, solid defender. I think he replaces and as Cantor. So that might be one way to answer a question. But a more, you know, power forward. Are you gonna have? You know, Grant Williams, you know, Daniel Tice, Marcus Smart, you, you have all these options. Yeah. And and with yeah. Kemba Walker being out, um, this I think something that went kind of under the radar was the signing of Jeff Teague. Now, Jeff Teague's not an all-star. He's not great, but he's a solid NBA-level point guard. And when you look at what you could possibly be missing with Kemba Walker being out, and this is – he's dealing with knee issues that have, have been lingering for a year now, and he's had – you know, long periods of time to recover, and he's still not back 100%. So, you know, if if I'm Danny Ainge, I'm not confident that he's going to be back even by, like, February. I know he said January, but, you know, you can't really bank on that on that happening. So you think, you know, Brad Wanamaker's not going to be my starting point guard. That That's just not going to work. So let me go out, get a, get a strong, solid point guard. You know, all he's got to do is get the ball up the court and give it to Jason Tatum, and we're going to be fine. You know, Jason Tatum is going to have to be their bread and butter, but – you know, yeah. To me, the most exciting news of the off season is that we got brought Taco Fall back for a two way <laughs> contract signing. So at least we have that. You know that those good vibes going for us. So, uh, hopefully, hopefully, Jason Tatum, you know, continues developing into this all star, you know, level player, and hopefully we can make something happen in the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, and again, as you mentioned, you're going to need multiple superstars if you're going to want to get a championship. Jason Tatum is one. I think Jalen Brown can be the other, but again, it'll be up to him to kind of take that next step next to Jason Tatum and see if Boston can have their dynamic duo to go against the other elite superstars in the Eastern Conference. And staying in the Eastern Conference and staying with some point guards, Kelly, we actually had a massive trade. It doesn't feel like one to me, and I'll explain why in a bit, but... The Houston Rockets, knowing that Russell Westbrook wanted out, they finally get the trade and get him out. But the only trade that was feasible with the Washington Wizards, they basically swap superstar point guards. Russell Westbrook goes to the nation's capital. John Wall is going to come down to H-Town to play with James Harden, his old running mate at Kentucky, DeMarcus Cousins, and Steven, uh, Steven Silas, the new head coach down there in Houston. But, Kelly, this just doesn't move me. Like, when I heard the news when Woj dropped this, I, I kind of gave it one look and it was just like, ah, it's the only trade that made sense. But w- what's going to happen, best case scenario? The Rockets, even with John Wall, th- we just mentioned how good the West is. They might not even make the playoffs with James Harden and John Wall as their duo and DeMarcus Cousins, whatever he is. And for the Wizards, even with Russell Westbrook and, and Bradley Beal, you bring back Davis Bertans. That's like a 6th, 7th, or 8th seed that's probably going to see Milwaukee, Boston, or Brooklyn in the first round and get bounced early. I guess this doesn't move the needle for me, but it needed to be done. So when I first heard this deal, the first thing I thought of was the Spider-Man meme. You know, the two identical Spider-Mans kind of pointing at each other. Pointing looking, at each other, yes. And you're not really sure what's going on. That's kind of what it seems like to me. You've got these two... These two point guards, polarizing point point guards, they almost have identical contracts. They both were once considered to be two of the best and most athletic point guards in the league. But to me, they're both kind of out of their prime, especially John Wall. I mean, 
he hasn't played in, in two years, and he's coming off an Achilles injury, which is in basketball arguably the worst injury you can try to come back from. So we don't even know what John Wall's going to look like. And and you're trading John Wall to get Russell Westbrook. And if I'm Russell Westbrook, I'm a little offended that that's, that that's what I'm being compared to. Because, I mean, you gotta if you look at their two, their two resumes, I mean, here we have, you know, Wall is maybe one of the most accomplished players to wear a Wizards jersey. Westbrook is one of the most accomplished players in the NBA. You know, Westbrook is a former MVP, nine-time All-NBA player. Wall is a one-time All-NBA player, and one time he made a sick shot in a game six and stood on a scorer's table. Like, I just, I don't think the two are comparable. So I definitely think Washington got the better the better end of the stick in this deal. But again, like you said, it, it really, you know, it's sixes. It, it's two... Pretty average, not average, but pretty two point guards who I, I don't think are going to make too much of an impact on their team. Now, one thing you mentioned is is what is this going to do the Rockets with John Wall and Harden? I'm not even sure if Harden's going to be there at the end of this this you know the trade deadline. No, yeah, I would say that I think Russ is definitely in the better position. I think him and Bradley Beal will mesh more. You know, Bradley Beal has shown that, you know, he doesn't need the ball predominantly in order to put up 30 points. I mean, off the ball, he's one of the, you know, the best snipers out there in the league. And I think him and Russ, they'll work better with each other. But as far as, as John Wall and James Harden is concerned, if Steven Silas is going to continue what Mike D'Antoni was doing and giving James Harden really point guard duties and giving him and making him the uh, the the predominant uh, ball handler, it's just not going to work. You know, John Wall's not a shooter. He's not going to be posted up at the three-point line waiting for James to kick it out to him. That's not happening. So I, I really question what Steven Silas is going to be able to do. It's going to be tough sledding for Houston. And again, the West is loaded. And right now at this point, I don't see the Rockets as one of the best eight teams in, in the West right now. So we'll see what Steven Silas, James Harden, if he stays in H-Town, uh, obviously he wants to go to Brooklyn and, and play with KD and Kyrie from what we've heard, from what reports have said. But again, it, it's going to be tough for Houston in a loaded Western Conference. But Kelly, before we wrap up here, we did mention COVID and, and both and the leagues having to kind of navigate that and see how they can get through a 72-game regular season and a postseason, you know, without any sort of significant COVID-19 outbreaks. They have done initial return-to-market testing. They tested 546 players. 48 of them tested positive, and that was done between November 24th and November 30th. Kelly, you spoke about it best. You said, you know, these teams are going to be playing three, four times a week. And with some of these guidelines, and we spoke about this before we started recording and, and Woj sending out all these tweets, you know, 158 pages of health and safety guidelines, you know, were given to each team. And as far as we know, when players and staff are at home, they won't be allowed to go to bars, lounges, and clubs or live entertainment or, or gaming venues. You know, we talk about public gyms, spas, pools, you know, large indoor social gatherings of 15 or more people. They can't do that. And when they're on the road, Kelly, they're going to have to go to approved restaurants on trips and, and indoor restaurants that are fully privatized or just outdoor dining with enough space for social distancing. <sighs> I know, Adam, it seems like the NBA has their plan in place to enforce health and safety protocols, but it just feels like no matter what happens, Kelly, we're still going to see teams have to go through mini outbreaks where players miss maybe a week or two at a time. 
Yeah, they're, I, I appreciate putting in the rules into place, but they're trying to take the United States and turn it into a bubble. And it, it's, ju- it's just not the same. There's no NBA snitch line just in, in these cities across you know the United States. Who's going to be watching these players? Who's going to be making sure that they're following these rules? And, and if someone does break a guideline, and let's say somebody does go to a live entertainment area or goes out to eat or is in a large gathering, and they don't tell anyone and they show up to practice the next day. I mean, we're talking about basketball, which is arguably one of the worst sports for COVID. It's played indoors. Guys yeah, are literally yeah. breathing and sweating on each other, and there's no helmets or equipment keeping you apart. Your lit- your blood, sweat, and tears are are mixing and intermingling. As gross as that sounds, you know, if one of these, if one, if one player gets it, they could wipe out, you know, their entire team, and then potentially a team that they're a team that they're facing. So it could, I mean, it could get bad. It could it could get bad fast. You hope for the best, and you hope that as the country progresses and we are we do have more vaccines rolled out and we and we learn more about this virus and how to control it that hopefully you know we're able to finish out the season but i don't think it's going to go as smoothly as the bubble did last year no yeah and you mentioned vaccines the updated protocols have also said that once covid-19 vaccines have become fda approved and they have been deemed safe and effective the nba and nba pa will discuss whether it has to be a requirement, you know, for tier one and tier two players to receive this vaccine and also following up by saying that if the vaccine winds up not being required, the two sides could discuss whether additional health and safety restrictions will have to be required for those who don't vaccinate. So again, I think the NBA is leaving, you know, options open because again, there are people who may be a little weary of the vaccine, some players and coaches and staff members who might not want to take the vaccine immediately. But again, I I think the NBA is doing its due diligence to make sure that they've covered all their bases and that at least when a vaccine does become available, you know, the players, coaches, staff members, they have an opportunity to take it and kind of feel a little bit more safer about going through an entire regular season and potential postseason. Yeah, I agree. They're, they are doing all they can do, given the circumstances. You know, uh, Rachel Nichols on the jump said that there was 150 pages of rules that they gave to these players. So, yeah. you know, they've they've laid out their expectations and in a perfect world, I, I'm assuming if the players and their families all followed these rules to a T with no exceptions, then yeah, maybe we could get through. Maybe we could get through a season where we have no cases or maybe you know less than five cases, give or give or take. But I I just don't know how realistic that is, especially when you just have a bunch of young guys and you're asking them to live their lives like completely different for this long period of time. And and again, you're just gotta hope for the best, but. I wouldn't be surprised if we need all that extra time in the second half of the season to make up a lot of these games. Yeah, I mean, and that's, again, that's why I mentioned they're leaving themselves some leeway in that second half where the second half of the regular season will go through May. So, again, they'll have that extra month to work with, and hopefully they don't need to use it all. But, again, just in case with the ongoing pandemic, we just don't know. It might get worse. It's already rampant in certain states. So I think all NBA teams will have to work you know, with each other in lockstep and not really have it what we're seeing in college athletics. And I think in the NFL, it's kind of going by team discretion. 
But I would hope the NBA kind of takes it upon themselves to have universal rules that all teams have to follow, whether they have fans in the arena or not, or whether their state regulations allow them to or not. Before we depart, I, I would say this. Our producer, Thomas Aiello, kind of looked at me before I transitioned. I didn't mention the New York Knicks, and this is the reason. I don't want to put any sort of expectations on the Knicks. Obviously, Obi Toppin, the eighth pick, I love me some Obi. And everyone is talking well. Tom Thibodeau is talking well of him. R.J. Barrett, Julius Randle, and they're very impressed with him. Austin Rivers coming out and saying, you know, the culture with the New York Knicks has to change. Players have to decide to come here. We're hearing the right things, Kelly. So I will say, before we end it, I think our producer, Thomas Aiello, is happy with where the Knicks are headed right now under the direction of Leon Rose and Coach Thibodeau. I think happy is a way of saying not completely frustrated and pissed off, which is which is a positive <laughs> step in the right direction for Knicks fans. You know, you know, Leon Rose's new front offense, they did what the past what, five, six front offices haven't done. They were patient this offseason, you know. They didn't just go out and try and waste, you know, waste their cap sheet on a star player who may or may not work out for them, you know. For a Knicks team that's rebuilding, the best thing they can do is act as a rebuilding team and not a Knicks team. They need to, you know, take their time, develop young talent, and they're going to have top picks in, in, you know, in the near future. And hopefully you start to develop a team, you know, Obi Toppin, again, like you said, he looks like he's going to fit into the league very nicely. His offense, you know, I, I'm not sure about his defense, but his offense looks like it already fits in nicely with this, you know, and he, he's already going to, he's going to be a huge role player coming in. It is the Knicks. There's, there's not that many role players already on the team. So I I think the fact that they didn't have any, you know, super embarrassing, super awful moves this offseason is a great step in their for their organization. No, yeah, I expect a significant change as it pertains to just defensive effort and just mentality under Coach Tibbs. As you know, he's a defensive stalwart. So I, I like where the Knicks are. So I think Aiello can kind of take solace knowing that they're headed in the right direction. They're not... They're not going wrong way like in Mario Kart when your little cousin just goes the wrong way. You're telling him, no, you got to reverse, go back. And they're just still going the wrong way. That was the Knicks for too long. And let's hope they stay on the course because we need the Knicks to be a playoff team again. I mean, I can't wait anymore. It's If we're here in New York, we need the Knicks to be relevant. So they will have a chance. So will the other 29 teams in the NBA come December 22nd when the regular season tips off with that doubleheader on TNT. But until then, enjoy the preseason, enjoy the developing stories with all of your favorite teams, and we will be back to give you another edition of Pick and Pod when the time allows it. Until then, enjoy these few weeks before the season starts and enjoy that preseason in about a week or so. Until then, for Kelly Bright, I am Andrew Posada signing off. Pick and Pod is a production of WFUV.